Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi, my name is Vanessa Lem. I'm a professor of philosophy at the University of New South Wales and... Right, and you listen to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio. (laughs) From now on, (laughs) yes. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. We have Professor Louise Johnson, who teaches at the School of Humanities and Social Sciences at Deakin University here to speak about feminist geography. What is your definition of feminist geography? Uh, A question many persons often ask after they burst out laughing with the very idea of feminism and geography being put together. But basically it builds on the assumption that spaces that we inhabit as as human beings are basically gendered in that you can think about different spaces, be it anything from a household and a house through to a a working place to a shopping centre to a neighbourhood and from my point of view, you can actually start looking and interrogating and potentially changing those spaces in terms of their gendered relationships that are built within them, which are expressed within them, and which at times are basically problematical for women and, and therefore they need to be changed. Yeah, there's there's often been a talk of different rooms in different houses for men and women, and lately there's been a lot of talk about men's sheds and the women sort of tend to dominate the bedroom, don't they, with flowery wallpaper and... Well, that's right. And one of my earlier studies that I did, and it's probably less pronounced these days, I think um, developers have tweaked on this one, that I used to do a lot of surveying voyeuristic journeys through exhibition homes. And you can literally read a floor plan of a home, and you can certainly do this historically much, much easier than perhaps than today. And you can move through a house and and literally the way they're presented, especially in those exhibition villages, is often profoundly gendered, especially things like children's bedrooms, which are obviously kind of often typed with with colour and and furnishings and and other um, additions in terms of being a boy's room or a girl's room. But it's, it's more subtle than that. I mean, I've done some work on the location of the kitchen, for example, and you can literally track the location of the kitchen within the Australian home and you can map it across to the women's movement so initially it's it's literally on the back fence and it kind of migrates up to the back of the house but at the rear of the house the kitchen is the place where there's certainly dirt and smells and fires and dangers but it is a women's space or in wealthier homes it was a, a servant's house a servant's location and then what you have from you know, the 1950s onwards is that the kitchen not only is attached to the house but it becomes central to the house and much more so now. It's, it's Initially it was that location so that women could actually survey the house, look after children as well as cook dinner and now the kitchen is, is somewhat being redefined because men have entered the kitchen and so the kitchen is 
still that sort of centrally located, really half of a home kind of thing, but it, it's, it's assumed an even greater importance, and I think that's very much about men entering that space. So you can look at rooms, you can look at the layout of rooms, you can look at the changes over time in these terms of, of gendered spaces. Mm, that's a very interesting topic. What inspired you to, to study this field? Really good question. It of course goes back a long time. I mean, I was at Sydney University in the 1970s when feminism was erupting and exploding, but I must admit I didn't get involved at all. I was actually caught up a bit later when I worked at Sydney University in the uh, mid-70s with the Marxist critique of my own discipline as well as political economy and general philosophy. And so I got very involved with, with Marxist theorising and I think a lot of women who were certainly around in my discipline at the time were similarly engaged in, in that critique. And for me personally, feminism kind of passed me by until I ended up in Geelong working at Deakin University. And a, a colleague arrived, and her name was Robin Rowland, and wanted to set up women's studies. And I had no idea what that was, but I was interested. So uh, I basically started reading, and we had a visiting scholar at that time, Verity Bergman, who just said, why don't you do a seminar on, on connecting feminism and geography? And, and I'd never actually thought of it till she asked me to do that. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll go and have a look. And there was a very small amount of, of published material coming out of England in particular, but also the US, that was making those connections between women's position and space and thinking about how they related and, and doing some initial work around the nature of cities and basically counting women within the discipline as well and kind of observing, not surprisingly, there weren't a lot and those that were in the discipline were very junior. And, and so I just got more and more involved with through the women's studies pathway and then I got more involved with actually starting to work on my discipline and within my discipline and I eventually do a PhD on creating feminist geography and actually doing that, putting that framework to work, looking at um, the textile industry in Geelong, which was basically my PhD. So it goes all the way back to the early 80s, I guess, for me. Yeah. Mm, so uh, I suppose it was a field that there hadn't been much research in, so it was probably a good area to go in. Into, oh, absolutely. You know? It was wide open. I mean, it was completely empty, though I guess... And it's interesting, well, some of my friends more recently have said that you actually took a risk doing that. And so, yes, in a sense, politically and conceptually, it was a really exciting and, and wonderful place to go. And it was very, it was invigorating and there was lots, lots happening. But it also was a high-risk strategy in terms of one's profession and one's, my own career. I don't think got any great advantage from being <laughs> typecast as a rampaging feminist because... I think that was actually a problem within the academy for quite some time. And so um, even though I was uh, having, having a good time and, and feeling like I was making a real impact on the discipline and, and how things were, were being done, not just in my discipline and even in realms like planning, it's within the discipline itself, within my own professional field, it was seen as a bit mad, a bit on the edge, a bit dangerous, a bit edgy, and therefore if you're identified with that, well, then you certainly weren't senior academic material, you are just a rat bag. Oh, might have just been a radical sort of a well, rat bag. Too. Yeah, well, all of that, all of that, of course. Yes, and, and indeed, very, very much a radical. But whereas, sort of, being a Marxist in those days was sort of increasingly okay. Being a, a stroppy, questioning woman was was seen as 
a difficulty, it was a problem, and therefore, I mean, it was, it was you know, we, we eventually, of course, got, got through that and out the other end, and, and I, I think ultimately it, it's succeeded in a whole lot of really profound and important ways, but in terms of career advancement, it certainly, I don't think, was an asset to begin with. No, but yeah, you mentioned about there had been some material published in the UK. So when when did feminist geography emerge in Australia and what were the circumstances surrounding this? Well, some of the very earliest pieces, as I say, go back to the early 1970s. So a really important woman by the name of Jan Monk, who actually was at Sydney University a couple of years ahead of me, but I didn't actually know that till much later. And she went off to the United States and did some work where literally she did some head counts, you know, women within the discipline, but also started looking at the content and the methods of the discipline and and published some very early work surveying that. And that was in the 1970s. And similarly in the UK, people like Linda McDowell, Suzanne McKenzie and Sophie Bowlby were, were doing some really important work looking at the nature of cities and the way in which urban design and planning kind of reflected gender relations and especially the relationship within the domestic sphere as it connected to the paid work sphere. But in Australia, nothing much was happening. I mean, this stuff was was out there and it was circulating within key journals. But in in terms of the actual development within Australia, very little was happening. And I, I think it does go back. I mean, I've thought a lot about this trying to work it out because it's one of the things I do in my kind of you know, position of being one of the trailblazers and all this stuff is, is to write regular reviews about the nature of and the state of and where we are at with feminist geography. And thinking about its origins in Australia, I mean, clearly that work from overseas was important. There was a women's movement certainly happening in Australia, but within the, the discipline of geography, it had sort of passed it by in the same way as I'd passed it by as well. So it, it sort of starts happening in the early 80s and I think that was, again, coming out of some of the left-wing women within my own discipline who were doing work around workplaces and, and so on and just as a group of, of women starting to realise as you know, the whole consciousness-raising notion that within the discipline of geography we were actually marginalised as, as, as theorists, as serious researchers and, and also our numbers were not particularly high. And, and so it was, I mean, it was people like myself, but also some other really important women like Ruth Fincher at Melbourne University. And there was a whole, quite a whole bunch of us who were kind of getting together. Kathy Gibson was really important as well, who eventually just started articulating that there was work to be done within the discipline. But this was 10, 15 years later than what was happening overseas. So this was in the mid-1980s. The first stuff starts emerging, we we have workshops, we have parts of conferences that we kind of commandeer and have a series of, of we, we create a gender and geography study group within the Institute of Australian Geographers, which sounds all very daggy, but in fact, it's a really, really important development. So that, that begins in the mid-80s and no, no longer exists, I should also say. So we're looking at the rise, but also the kind of perhaps mainstreaming, perhaps fall of, of this whole radical discourse. So it it comes belatedly, I think, because of our preoccupation with with matters left-wing and and Marxist and comes out of personal experiences as well as those international influences of of raising questions. So what effect did feminist geography have on the revision of the contents of geographical research? I think it's enormous. I think it's 
absolutely profound and enormous and I think it's impacted on the contents, I think it's impacted on the methods, I think it's impacted on, on just how the discipline sees itself. In relation to content, I mean, it's hard to know where to start. I mean, I'm a human geographer, so it's hard to kind of point, because I don't know the field around what we would call physical geography, which is the kind of the environmental side of things. There was certainly quite a bit of stuff early, and I think it was you know, in the literature as well in Australia, looking at the place of, of women in environmental politics and, and their role in, in environmental movements, but that's something I don't know much about. In terms of the work that myself, but also a whole bunch of other women were doing, I think we can point to particularly the elevation of the domestic, the home as a serious site of geographical inquiry, because geography was very much concerned with the public, the public arena of you know work and transport and cities and industry and all of that kind of stuff. But the idea of actually looking within, looking within workplaces, looking within the, ha the house, not just looking at suburban layouts, but actually looking at the house and seeing how the house works and how the relationships of space and, and people within those environments has changed and developed and how it's literally etched into the design of homes, the, the sort of social relationships that I was describing earlier. So the sort of work that I ended up doing in, in the textile mills, other people were looking at other workplaces, shopping centres, all sorts of other sites, but looking within those sites, not just looking at, you know, there's a thing called retail geography, which is very much about where shopping centres go and where shops happen and transport geography is all about people moving from A to B, but it had never really taken seriously the issue that especially mobility, for example, is incredibly gendered. And so some very important work in the early days in Australia as well as overseas, looking at the patterns that women compared to men have during the day. Because the model was always the male breadwinner. You know, the whole transport system of, of most cities, Western cities, is designed around the male breadwinner, getting them into the city to work. And what, they, what we found, not, not me, but other researchers found, was that women, of course, have often are part-time workers rather than full-time workers. They work often more closer to home than more distant. Um, in the sort of 70s and 80s, they're not even necessarily having access to, to cars, so that they're very dependent on, on public and other forms of transport. They also have incredibly irregular patterns, like they have to do the, the drop-off of the children, they have to do the pick-up, they have to do the paying of the bills, they have to do the shopping, they have to do the cooking and the cleaning in amongst their, their work. And all of their mobility patterns, of course, are, are related to that, which are totally different from the bloke who just gets up and goes to work. And so there was enormous changes in the nature of urban geography, of economic geography, because suddenly we now call that a domestic economy that has to be incorporated. And we have to look at women's role within the workplace and the value of women's labour and the whole sexual division of labour, both within workplaces and across the the system, so there's all that economic geography is transformed. That was sort of something I was personally involved with as well as the urban geography side of things. So there's huge changes, and, and that stuff is now kind of just second nature. Everybody kind of now knows all that. It's perfectly obvious and self-evident, but it wasn't back in the 1980s. If you looked at the geography back in the 1980s, this stuff would not have been there. Mm, no, it's been quite a change. So could you tell us how the home identity and sexuality are relevant to feminist geography? 
Oh, well, I mean, the home is something as I say, I've done a lot of work on. The other thing, looking at you know, things like exhibition homes, was very much the assumption not just of gendered relationships, male-female relationships, but there's clearly assumptions about heteronormativity within the home. Like, the idea is that most homes... I mean, you used to go in... <laughs> some of these places I have very fond memories of going in. There's, and there's his and her uh, basins in the bathroom, and they're literally labelled his and hers. <laughs> Uh, and so the assumption is that, of course, it would be a straight couple who would purchase these homes. Mm-hmm. And of course, so that, that notion, and, and similarly, there's, there's various assumptions around being having a straight world literally built into you know, shopping centres and into um, housing and, and neighbourhoods and, and how they work. And, and so that notion of, of sexuality, once you, again, put your lens on and start looking in those terms. So I wrote a piece quite a while ago called Sexuality in the Suburbs, which was very much arguing that um, suburban housing and planning was very much based on the assumption of, of heterosexuality being the norm and everything else being, well, virtually invisible and didn't exist. Um, and so there's also been a, a great deal of work done and a lot of the um, stuff done by some of the, the gay men within this movement have looked at places around Oxford Street in in Sydney, for example, the the whole notion of of gay ghettos and seeing spaces in the city as literally having etched upon them sexuality. Um, And and so, I mean, clearly in in Melbourne, Northcote and Clifton Hill and and so on, similar kind of things, but a lot of the the work's been done around the the Mardi Gras and and Sydney's quite strong and, and visible gay precincts. A lot of it's about boys more than girls, but there's still again, work that's been highlighting the role of sexuality in defining particular spaces in particular ways, but also therefore marking the rest as having built within it heterosexual kind of assumptions. What is the feminist geographies of difference? Well, that again goes back to all of the various debates that were happening in the 1980s within feminism more generally. And uh, I mean, I, I still, the women and labour conferences were, were gigantic affairs that used to bring women together around feminist ideas and politics and philosophy. And those were very much places where lesbian women in particular, but then more recently there were Aboriginal women who just said, you're not always speaking for us. So this was very much the critique of the, of the sisterhood. You know, um, the sisterhood is powerful. Women are united. Patriarchy is basically men versus women, and women are a, a kind of a, a united category. And of course, there's there's fractures that occurs within those kind of over overweening kind of ideas that that really do a whole bunch of white middle class lesbian women speak for all women and of course they don't even though they purported to and thought they did so the the the, the geography of, the feminist geography of, of difference is actually acknowledging that women as a category in the same way as the feminist movement eventually acknowledged somewhat reluctantly but you know again it's sort of no big deal these days acknowledge that of course women are an incredibly diversified category and and we have to think about ethnicity, we have to think about class, we have to think about sexuality, we have to think about physical embodiment as, as differentiated and have to be aware of all those differences and, and not just slip into 
being kind of lazy and just talking about women per se. We have to actually be much more specific and identify the kind of types of women we are talking about as, as feminist geographers. So as a feminist geographer, if I'm doing work in a, a textile mill, then I, I'm clearly dealing with women of a certain class position, which would be quite different than if I was talking to women in a, in a bank, for example, um, just in terms of class position, but then there's all those other dimensions of difference. So it's an awareness thing. It comes out of a critique. It's now something that's kind of built into the the way in which this work is, is, is done. Now, does some capitalism and patriarchy play a part in feminist geography? Well, again, those, those concepts, I mean, there's, I mean, capitalism is still alive and well. There's no question about that. Though I think people still are wondering whether patriarchy is alive and well, because patriarchy was one of the terms... I mean, in, the short answer is yes, of course. But, but clearly, we are still part of a, a capitalist society, there's no question about that. Whether we are still part of a patriarchal society, I personally believe we are. But that notion of the kind of, and it goes back to this monolithic conception of of women versus men within a a patriarchal regime, that basically patriarchy and that conception of uh, gender relations is that men basically are triumphing and, and have the power compared to women. I personally still believe that is the case, though there's certainly views which diminish that, that say, well, no, patriarchy is something that really doesn't exist anymore. The world is much more complex. Men, especially, you know, say, working-class men or, or black men or you know, men who are refugees or whatever, are, are clearly without power. So to basically ascribe all men as being powerful in relation to women is inaccurate as well as naive and simplistic. Well, I think if you're sort of looking at that angle, I mean, uh, you compare a refugee man to a refugee woman. I mean, the man has clearly got more power than the woman in that sort of situation, haven't they? Well, I I would say so. Um, And, I mean, one of the questions I was hoping you might ask me is where feminist geography is is now at. Oh, so where where is feminist geography (laughs) now at? Well, I mean, this is something that I kind of, again, have reflected upon as I I regularly write these reviews. And Mm -hmm. and certainly a couple of years ago when I did my more recent one on this, I, I was in despair because as far as I could see that all of my colleagues, including myself, are kind of now senior, comfortable, ageing academics and uh, or, or basically either retiring to their, their their homes in Dalesford or down the coast or living reasonably good lives, um, fairly comfortable in, in their kind of, as they age. But also, I mean, I personally am not politically very active in the sense that there's not a women's movement out there demanding that as an academic, which is what used to happen, as an academic that I deliver something. Because that was one of the things that was really important, I think, to the emergence of things like women's studies and even feminist geography, that there was a a movement, people marching up and down, demanding equal pay, demanding being able to walk down the street and not be in fear of being raped or assaulted and and so on. And so a lot of that stuff doesn't exist anymore, though the the Jill Maher case reminds us that there are still instances where... I think we collectively as a society are reminded that male power is still very real and it's out there. So when there's a horrific rape or a murder or whatever, usually, of course, it's men murdering women or obviously raping women, then then we have an eruption of, of political anger at that. And But it's still not really 
presented as patriarchy. It's, it's presented as something else and sort of the community coming together and we have to do something about this. But it's, it's rarely men who are sort of singled out as, as being the problem, whereas I, I actually think there's still a, a male culture and a patriarchal set of relationships which do still privilege men. And I mean, all the data that's still coming out about workplace situations around unequal pay, around domestic violence, around... I mean, I just think some of the fundamentalist religious horrors that we're seeing at the moment is a reassertion of patriarchy in the face of, of feminism. And so for me, patriarchy is alive and well, but I think you would be really finding it very hard to find anybody who's seriously arguing that within academic writing, for example. And feminist geography, I think, is also stalled, partly because I think it's been seen as going mainstream, that the discipline has indeed changed, and it has fundamentally altered in the ways that I've described. The way we do things, what we study is, is now totally different, and women's worlds are taken seriously, and there's certainly more women within the academy. But they're still not in very senior roles, there's still not a whole bunch of women in there compared to blokes. But the dynamism has sort of gone out of the movement, I think. And so feminist geography is now mainstream. The anger is gone. The I think there's still some work, really good work being done around the position of, of, of women and, and gender relations, but it's nowhere near the quantity or the kind of energy that was, I think, around 10 years ago. And that could be just me reflecting my age, I guess. In the good old days. Yeah. And I, I think that is a <laughs> I think that is a reality and I, I think we think thing we think the world has changed. My young female students at the university say, Look, you know, it's all over, you know, there there's no problems, we can do whatever we like. But they're still basically all enrolled in, in teaching rather than engineering. So and they still can't walk down the street safely without being in fear of, of being assaulted. So, I mean, I think there's a long way to go, but there's not a lot lot of work really happening um, to really articulate that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. And I think that a lot of young women are being told that it is all right now and everything's mm. changed and they don't need to worry about it. And I think that's just another tactic to uh, prevent women from still fighting the battle. But I definitely think that, yeah, patriarchy is, is alive and well. Well, I think mm. we'll, we'll leave it there. But thank, thank you very yep. much for coming on to Radical Philosophy. My pleasure, and I hope I've made some people angry and excited out there. That would be great. Today I've been speaking with Professor Louise Johnson about feminist geography. Hope you've enjoyed the program. I've certainly enjoyed your company. And do stay tuned for the fabulous Swing and Sway.